good to see you all tonight. We're going to uh, complete our study of the book of Ezra tonight, and uh, we're going to test my pronunciation skills uh, in reading this last uh, section of, of, uh, of Ezra. Um, but uh, turn with me, if you will, to Ezra chapter 10, verses 18 to the end. Let me pray for us uh, as we uh, get started. Our gracious God in heaven, we do thank you, Lord, for this time that we have to come around your word. And Lord, as we gather uh, at this time in the midst of a very busy season in our lives, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to uh, just to, to quiet our hearts and to to hear, Lord, your word, this this word that you have have given us, Lord, which reveals to us who you are and Lord, what you require of us, but to, uh, to, to do justice, to walk humbly, and, and Lord, to live in fellowship with you. And so we pray, Lord, that you would uh, work in us even now as we uh, hear your word tonight. Lord, may you do your work in our hearts that we might glorify you. We thank you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Ezra chapter 10, verses 18 through 44. Now there were found some of the sons of the priests who had married foreign women, Messiah, Eleazar, Jerob, and Gedaliah, some of the sons of Jeshua, the son of Josedek, and his brothers. They pledged themselves to put away their wives, and their guilt offering was a ram of the flock for their guilt. Of the sons of Emer, Hanani, and Zebediah. Of the sons of Haram, Maseah, Elijah, Shemaiah, Jehiel, and Uzziah. Of the sons of Pashur, Elioenai, Messiah, Ishmael, Nethanel, Josabad, and Elasa. Of the Levites, Josabad, Shemei, Kaliah, that is Kalida, Pethahiah, Judah, and Eleazar. Of the singers, Eliashib. Of the gatekeepers, Shalom, Telem, and Uri. And of Israel, the sons of Parash, Ramiah, Isaiah, Melchijah, Mejamin, Eleazar, Hashabiah, and Benaiah. Of the sons of Elam, Metaniah, Zechariah, Jehiel, Abdi, Jeremoth, and Elijah. Of the sons of Zatu, Eli, Oenai, Eliashib, Metaniah, Jeremoth, Zabad, and Aziza. Of the sons of Bebai were Jehohanan, Hananiah, Zabai, and Ethlai. Of the sons of Bani were Meshulam, Malak, Adiah, Jashub, Sheal, and Jeremoth. Of the sons of Pahath Moab, Adna, Chelal, Beniah, Maseah, Mataniah, Bezalel, Benui, and Manasseh, of the sons of Harim, Eliezer, Ishijah, Malkijah, Shemaiah, Shimeon, Benjamin, Malak, and Shemariah, of the sons of Hashem, Metanai, Metata, Zabad, Eliphalet, Jeremiah, Manasseh, and Shimei, of the sons of Bani, Madai, Amram, Uel, Benaiah, 
Bediah, Chaluhi, Benaiah, Merimoth, Eliashab, Mataniah, Matanai, Jesu. Of the sons of Benui, Shemei, Shelemiah, Nathan, Adiah, Meknadabai, Shishai, Sharai, Azarel, Shelemiah, Shemariah, Shalom, Amariah, and Joseph. Of the sons of Nebu, Jael, Metathiah, Zabad, Zabina, Jedai, Joel, and Benaiah. All these had married foreign women, and some of the women had even born children. Well, this is the word of our God. Thanks be to God for his holy and inerrant word. So that's how the, thank you. (laughs) That is how the book of Ezra ends with this long list of names of people who had disobeyed God and broken the covenant um, by, by marrying Uh, or at least, as we'll talk about in a moment, cohabiting and procreating with these uh, foreign women. It's, you know, it's kind of like a a postscript uh, to a a movie, right, where it describes now, like, where they are now, um, except it's simply a catalog of those who were guilty of uh, this uh, intermarriage, right? It's a, a blacklist of sorts, or... You know, I mean, it's Christmas time. It's like Santa's naughty list. Um, uh, but nevertheless, right, we, you may remember at the end of uh, the passages that we looked at, or the passage we looked at last week uh, in verses uh, 16 and 17, right? Ezra had selected a group of men who were to find out who had violated the, the God's covenant with his people by marrying this or these uh, foreign wives. And apparently this went on for three months, right? The text tells us it was from the first day of the 10th month to the first day of the first month, uh, the text tells us. And uh, this was the list of their findings. These are, you know, all those who were guilty of uh, this Sin, And so, you know, we read that text, you might think, well, what are we going to learn from this text? Well, there's at least a couple of things I think uh, we learn that we see, and these are going to be our two points this evening. Number one, the contagiousness of sin, and secondly, the consequences of unfaithfulness. So to begin with, right, the contagiousness of of sin or or unfaithfulness. I don't think we have to think too hard to understand the the principle that is is going on here. I mean, mean, certainly in our own culture, right, we have a a crisis in our hands, right? We're talking about marriage in this passage. Um, It's no secret we have a crisis in our own culture uh, regarding marriage. Right, uh, I mean, without even getting into the prevailing right confusion uh, that exists in our society about who the appropriate parties in a marriage relationship are, right, it's plain to see our culture has a diminishing view of the the sanctity and centrality of 
of marriage, right? Or the, the uniqueness of the, the blessing uh, that marriage is and the lifelong commitment that it requires in terms of the biblical pattern of marriage between one man and one woman uh, for life. And of course, I could give you a number of statistics, right, to support uh, that observation. Many, I'm sure you've heard before regarding the divorce rate, right, the the percentage of of people who live uh, together before they get married or have sexual relations, either before marriage or outside of of marriage. And, right, the, the reality of how those things are considered really normal in our society uh, today, but I think what is most or more disturbing than those statistics about society in general is the reality that we see and which we see in Ezra 10, but which we see in the church today is the parallel decline that that exists even in the church, right? I mentioned those statistics that you've probably heard before, and you've probably heard this before as well, that the statistics are the difference between, you know, society and the church, Christians, self-professing Christians who've rather either been divorced multiple times for unbiblical reasons or have been unfaithful to their spouse or have cohabited with someone prior to marriage is alarmingly not that much different than it is in the world. But something else that we'll get to in this passage, which I think is even more alarming than that comparison between society and the church as a whole, is the reality of an increase in church leaders who fall into those same Patterns, right? When when church we begin to see church leaders involved in inappropriate relationships, or when right the they cover up sin in their churches so as to avoid scandal, or simply refusing to teach the biblical standards of marriage and be bold in proclaiming the biblical standard of marriage between a man and a woman for life. The reality is when that is the state of the church, that is a problem. And sadly, that is the state of the broader church today. And that was the situation that Ezra found himself in here in Ezra, the book of Ezra in chapter 10. After returning from exile, Ezra discovered that the the people of Israel had forsaken God's standard for marriage. In particular, in this case, they had intermarried, it says, with the people of the lands. Why is that important? Well, we talked a bit about this last week. It's important because it wasn't so much the people of the land as they were not members of the covenant community that they were in these relationships with. And so in Ezra chapter 9, we we saw Ezra respond by calling out to God in repentance and 
interceding on behalf of the people, asking God to, to be merciful and, and gracious to his people despite their sin. And in, verse, or in chapter 10, the first part, we saw how he led the people in repentance before God. And even calling this special commission or whatever we want to call it, uh, this group to go and to give an account or to catalog those who had violated the marriage covenant. And when we look at this list, what is surprising or at least one of the things that is surprising about this, this catalog that is before us is certainly the, the, the breadth of the community that was engaged in this sin, right? It was, it, was, it was widespread throughout the entire community, but also what we see is the, if we want to call it the, the depth of how this sin had penetrated the community of God's people. In other words, this problem plagued the entire community from its leadership on down. Right? We, we read in verse 18 that it says, it says some of the priests had married foreign women. Verse 22, some of the Levites had married foreign women. Right, the the leadership of the church, its you know spiritual leadership was deeply involved in this sin, and I think that's a principle we don't want to miss. Right, that if if leadership is unfaithful to its covenant with God, then there is almost certain to be unfaithfulness in the rest of the community. Now that doesn't let the congregation as a whole off the hook, as we'll see in this passage, because, you know, it's not saying, well, the leadership was off, so the rest of the community is off the hook, so to speak, right? We, we see the accountability that is uh, held forth here in this passage and the, the consequences of the sin that they all experienced. But the, 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 the principle that we want to see is that right those who are placed in leadership have a special responsibility to lead the people in faithfulness to the covenant and diligence in living according to God's word, setting an example even for the people of God. Even as Ezra demonstrates, leading the people in repentance of uh, their sin. And so the principle we see is that those who openly violate the covenant and continue in it and are unrepentant in it, those who neglect to instruct the people of God in the word of God and the standards of God have no business being in leadership in the covenant community. 
right? We should keep in mind the words of James 3.1, which says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Or Matthew 5.19, therefore whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Or Matthew 18.6, whoever causes one of these Little ones who believe in me sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the, the depth of the sea. And so, interns, maybe future ministers, or even us as ministers, right? We need to hear those words and heed uh, those words. This is a, a very real warning for church leaders, right, to understand the responsibility that is being undertaken and to not lead the the people of God astray with either their teaching or the lifestyle by which they live. And sadly, this is was a reality in in Ezra's day, but it is also a reality in our own day. And we, we see sort of the, the contagiousness that comes as a, as a result and how it begins to, to permeate certainly the, the congregation that is under such leadership, but then beyond that, right, even into society as a whole. A little leaven leavens the whole lump, Paul says. But, but what was the big deal in Ezra chapter 10, right? I mean, why did it matter so much that the Israelites were marrying the people of the land? I mean, right, they had come from from uh, Babylon, they're moving across into the, the promised land, and, you know, they're, of course, marrying the people who were living in the land, right? It's bound to happen, we might think. But, of course... The issue wasn't so much the the people of the land, but the fact that those people were not part of the covenant community. They were unbelievers. And of course, God's word is very clear on that issue, right? Deuteronomy 7, 1 through 4, he says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, you shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. And here's the, some key words here. For they will turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will destroy you quickly. We read the same thing. I'm not going to read it, but Exodus 34, 11 to 16, which says those similar words. And so the instruction is that God's people ought not marry those who are unbelievers. Why? For one thing, it displeases God. It violates his commands. But, but also those words that I read that if you marry people who worship other gods, they will lead you into idolatry. And of course, the you know example 
number one in in scripture is that of of Solomon. The the man who was considered the wisest, right, to, to ever live. A man who was full of wisdom, who worshiped God. But as we read the biblical story, we hear that he married foreign wives. And as a result, 1 Kings eleven four tells us, when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. And so Solomon fell into that how much more are we in danger right in other words no matter how wise we might be how strong we might think we are in the faith marriage to someone who does not share that common commitment to God will strain our faithfulness to God and perhaps I'm speaking to you know, the singles in the room or the maybe singles who are, are listening online. But it's important, right, isn't it, for us to understand that there's no greater dynamic in a marriage relationship than a shared commitment to worshiping and serving God together. Right, not, not chemistry or appearance or shared interests or compatible personalities. The single most important aspect and blessing in marriage right, is a shared commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ when, when God is at the center of our lives. And the reality is if God is not central, if that is not the central priority, then all these, those other things will fade away. And so, right, for all you unmarried people out there, the main question is, does this person know and love Christ above all else? And if you are married and Christ is not at the center of your relationship with your spouse, then the urgency of the text or the urging of the text is to be intentional and to work to put him at the center, to worship together, pray together, serve God together, however you can. Of course, that's not what was going on in, in our text uh, tonight. It's not what was going on in Ezra's day, though he tried to lead them in repentance from their sin. Uh, but that also brings us to the second point, the consequences of unfaithfulness. And this is a, perhaps a confusing thing that goes on here where right, we hear how the Israelite men were, had to put away these women that they had married. Um, and, you know, we first read that, it seems like this is a contradiction uh, to other passage in Scripture, right? For example, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, 10 to 16 and, and 
There's some other places too which tell us that if you're married to an unbeliever that you cannot divorce them on that grounds, right? The only ground for divorce is adultery and, and abandonment. Um, uh, and, and it seems like, you know, Ezra's telling them to do something beyond that. And so what is going on here? I mean, is this just one of those things in the Old Testament that we understand was part of that stage of redemptive history, but it's no longer applicable uh, in our stage of redemptive history? Probably not. Uh, Is it that Ezra and the people were mistaken in what they did? But that's probably not the case either. That doesn't seem to fit the development of the story very well. But what may be going on here is something that actually isn't perhaps obvious on the surface. And the Reformation Study Bible, which some of you noted I walked in with tonight, uh, makes a note about it. It says the author's choice of language seems to indicate that he did not regard the unions as legitimate marriages, nor the sending away as actual divorce. And there's some technical language going on here, but in, in other words, the, the word for married is not the typical word for married in Hebrew, and also the, t- the word for divorce in Hebrew is not the typical word for divorce. And so the, the, the thought is, from scholars and, and commentators, is that what's going on here is there was some funny business going on. The Israelites were having intimate relations with these women, what may amount to what we would call civil unions, uh, perhaps because they knew the restrictions on marriage and so they were trying to create some kind of loophole or something. Um, and, and doesn't that just illustrate the human heart? Right? We're always trying to create loopholes uh, to, to make things, you know, fit for our own desires and whatnot. But right, whether these were real marriages or not, does not diminish the severity of their sin. In fact, it may even make it worse. Right? Because regardless of the legal status of these relationships, they were living with these women as though they were their wives, having children with them, and therefore were in violation of God's covenant with them. And so there were consequences to that. The consequences were that they had to be put away from them. They had to send them away. And we shouldn't get too caught up in trying to figure out what that looked like in terms of the ramifications of what happened here at the end of chapter 10, 10, except to say that sin creates a mess, doesn't it? Unrepentant and persistent sin destroys lives. And that is really what we see happening here at the end of Ezra chapter 10, the effects of sin on a community. In many ways, uh, what this is reminiscent of is the story of Hagar and, and Ishmael being sent away in Genesis 21. But the bottom line 
is that there are consequences to our sin. There are consequences in relationships when God's design is not followed. Families are split apart. Relationships are fractured. And in the end, everyone suffers as a result. And so the call that we have here at the end of, of Ezra is a, is a call as God's people to be faithful by the power of the Spirit to God's design for marriage relationships. It's a, it's a call to deal with sin decisively. It is a, a call for God's people if we want to see true reformation and revival take place, that it begins with building strong marriages according to, to God's design for marriage and strong families who will love and serve God together. It's a, a call to commitment to covenant faithfulness among God's people and a, and a willingness to call sin and to repent when sin is revealed. And I know even in a room this size, I'm sure there are some who have been through immense pain and, and difficulty in uh, this area, right? Perhaps you've seen your own family broken apart and that through, you know, no fault of your own. And what you need to hear and what we all need to hear is that there is one who is a faithful bridegroom. Uh, the one who has demonstrated his love to us, his everlasting love, and has demonstrated the extent of his love through his own sacrificing of himself. The Lord Jesus Christ, the, the faithful one who lived and died for us, and one day will gather all of his own together at the marriage supper of the Lamb where we will be with him, we will dine with him and abide with him uh, forevermore. That is our glorious future, that we will be with Christ. So let us live in anticipation of that glorious future and look to him as our only hope, our faithful covenant-keeping bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, both now and until that glorious day when he takes us to be with him forever. All right, well, let us turn now to praying. Why don't we spend a little time uh, praying for uh, the marriages in our church, praying for the, uh, the single people in our church, perhaps widows, um, and just uh, for God's grace to be uh, poured out upon our congregation uh, in these things and, and thanking God for his glorious faithfulness to us. So let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. You can just pray from where you are out loud and then um, I'll 
we'll turn to praying for our missionaries and, and other congregational needs. Let's pray.